Quick language warning here. This episode contains the B word, the S word, and the PSL word. Calling all the basic bitches. Calling all the basic bitches. There's a new announcement. You're basic. From Business Insider and Stitcher, this is Household Name. Brands you can trust. Brands you know, stories you don't. I'm Dan Bobkoff. Today, the PSL, the coffee that tastes like a candle. The icon of being basic, the Starbucks pumpkin spice latte. How did that happen? It's not bad. Like, it's definitely not the worst thing I've ever had. Pumpkin spice latte. Does it deserve the hype? Yeah. Stay with us. Can you introduce yourself, please? I'm Kate Taylor, and there are three things you should know about me relevant to our discussion today. Number one, I cover retail and fast food here at Business Insider. Number two, sometimes I get my coffee at Starbucks. And number three, I consider myself to be a little bit basic, or as some people might say, a bit of a basic bitch. Well then, so this is your Christmas. Uh, Yes, it is. It's pumpkin spice latte season. All right, I have some questions here. And I am here for you. First of all... Why is Starbucks basic? I will explain. And why, of all things in the world, is the Starbucks pumpkin spice latte the ultimate symbol of being basic? Okay, I can get you these answers, but you're going to have to come with me to a place called the Liquid Lab. And to kind of help set the mood, we actually set up the lab so it kind of felt like Thanksgiving, if you will, with leaves and pumpkins and people brought in pumpkin pies. What's happening? This is Peter Dukes in a Starbucks lab in 2003. And watch, he's about to invent something that will change the course of history. People brought in pumpkin pies, and you know, everybody has a different pumpkin pie recipe that comes from their family, and, and some are high pumpkin, low spice, high pumpkin, high spice, low pumpkin, low spice. He's been a project manager at Starbucks for almost two decades. There's all these different variations. And what we did is we'd pour shots of espresso on them, mix them up, and actually eat them with our fork. Peter and the rest of his team are basically combining all of these different things together. A little bit of pumpkin pie, a little bit of espresso, and really just like making a Frankenstein combination of the two. And it's through that process that you start to discover or realize that pumpkin pie, there's a heavier body that comes with it. They kind of realize that it's hard to combine them exactly, so they're going to have to create kind of a syrup that captures the flavor of uh, spicy pumpkin pie without just kind of dumping pumpkin into a bunch of coffee. And that's basically how they created the pumpkin spice latte. A recipe that would be high in pumpkin and high in, in spice. There you go. Date of birth, 2003. First name, pumpkin. Middle name, spice. Last name, latte. For short, PSL. So what happened next? Peter brought it to a focus group, and people are telling him, well, we're not sure if we want to buy this thing, but it sure is something. I won't say off the charts, but it was one of the higher beverages in terms of how it scored in terms of uniqueness. Uniqueness. What's funny about that is we're in 2003, And people think this drink, the pumpkin spice latte, is completely unique. It's a liquid pie with espresso. Right. But let's fast forward a few years, and the pumpkin spice latte, 
The PSL is now the symbol of the exact opposite of unique. It's defined a movement. It's the poster child of being, and I will use the full term here, a basic bitch. Which is liking things that everyone likes, even if you don't realize your taste is painfully mainstream. So Peter Dukes is the father of being basic? (laughs) Not quite. Starbucks didn't mean for the PSL to become the symbol of a certain kind of person. In fact, I'm not sure if Peter Dukes knows what basic means, or maybe he's just pretending to be ignorant. As the inventor of the PSL, how do you define basic? You know, as you were talking, I was going to pivot, if I'm allowed to, pivot the question, like, what's your definition of basic? Well, funny he should ask. Only getting coffee from Starbucks. Uggs. Rosé. Iced coffee. Avocado toast. Lily Pulitzer. Denim jackets. Green smoothies. Brunch. Bean boots. Kate, as you can tell, I've been doing some research (laughs) of my own. I focus grouped our office. Are you all basic? I've been told so, and I guess I agree. I'm extremely basic. (laughs) I think I might be. I think it's just embracing what's popular, but thinking it's special. It's just doing what the majority of the rest of the world is doing, and you thinking you're cool because you're following that. If I were to post a picture, they'd be like, oh, she's so basic. Of course she would post this picture. Okay, but what I don't understand is why the PSL of all drinks is the most basic of them all. I mean, why is Starbucks in general basic? And how did it get that way? Because I remember not that long ago when the knock on this chain was that it was making coffee expensive. A $7 cup of coffee. I feel like this is a test to find out just how stupid we are. And complicated. The whole purpose of places like Starbucks is for people with no decision-making ability whatsoever to make six decisions just to buy one cup of coffee. And elitist. Take his tax hiking, government expanding, latte drinking, sushi eating, Volvo driving, New York Times. How does Starbucks go from all of that to painfully mainstream? Okay, let's do some quick time travel. Because to know the PSL, you need to know where it came from. Imagine, it's the early 1970s and a shop in Seattle opens called Starbucks. It doesn't even serve hot drinks, just coffee beans. And come with me through the 70s and 80s and 90s, and America's mainstream coffee culture was counter coffee, or cup of joe. It's the kind of coffee that you just order it at a diner or at a corner store, and they'd hand it to you immediately from a big batch that had already been made. I mean, it only cost a buck, so it didn't have to be fancy. Then, as corporate lore goes, a guy named Howard Schultz takes a trip to Italy in 1983 and is taken with the country's coffee culture. He liked dropping in for an espresso and hanging out. Schultz then comes back and buys the six Starbucks stores in Seattle, and he transforms them into the coffee chain we know today, into the mainstream coffee culture we know today. He decided the person behind the counter would get an Italian title, barista. The baristas would make the drinks with fancy names like lattes and cappuccinos and macchiatos. Not many people in the U.S. had even heard of these drinks before. In fact, in a 1992 article about Starbucks expanding, the New York Times had to tell readers how to pronounce the word latte. What were people saying before they knew how to say it? Maybe lately? Late? <laughs> but... I'd like a late please. <laughs> One late. Um, no, it's literally the New York Times has to say how to pronounce it. And there wouldn't be a big batch of espressos behind the counter. The baristas took time to make each drink individually. And then they would call you by your name when your drink was ready. At the outset, much of it was kind of brilliant for Starbucks. One, it gave Starbucks this kind of um, veneer of Europeanness, right? 
Who is this? This is Bryant Simon. He's going to join us for our journey for a bit. He's a historian at Temple University, and he's also kind of obsessed with Starbucks. It started at a New Year's party. We bought a bottle of French champagne, and everybody kind of stopped drinking it. And once it was open, right, it would go bad if I didn't stop. And so I finished the bottle and then woke up the next morning feeling predictably crappy and got in the car because no one else was up. And, you know, where did I find myself? I found myself at a Starbucks in a strip mall in suburban Atlanta. He's hungover and bleary-eyed, and he starts coming back to life and observing the people around him like a good academic. They were chatting. There was a kind of buzz to the place. And and I began to think there was something going on there. And it wasn't just about selling coffee. This morning starts him on an odyssey. He went on to visit 400 Starbucks locations and then wrote a book called Everything But the Coffee, learning about America from Starbucks. So we're still in the 90s now, and Starbucks is becoming a national chain. Americans are starting to get to know these strange-sounding words like venti and grande and cappuccino. You know, language and names are a way to create insider and outsider groups, right? Teenagers do this all the time, create a language that their parents can't understand. And Starbucks created a language that you had to master in order to belong. Now, it wasn't that hard, but it did create insiders and outsiders. And I think part of the reason why people paid for Starbucks was this kind of belonging they got with it. The way, the, the kind of hyper detail to the orders, to those outsiders, was easy to mock. Now, when I talked to a lot of people who worked at Starbucks, they said the customers who needed belonging the most often had the most kind of difficult to say drinks. Wait, the customers who needed the most belonging had the hardest to say drinks? That's almost touching. Yeah, and maybe a little bit sad. And also, like, really personal. I mean, they are making these custom drinks for individuals. It feels like a far cry from the whole idea of being basic. Totally. There's also a cool factor at this point, some cachet, in being a Starbucks person. It's saying that you're in the know, and you're also not afraid to drop multiple dollars on a single cup of coffee. When I was doing my research, someone, a young Madison Avenue executive told me that in the kind of mid-1990s, he got a job in an advertising firm right out of college. He wasn't making very much money. And on Mondays, he would go buy a cup of Starbucks. And he'd take the sleeve off, and he would walk into the office with kind of the logo first. And then when he was finished the coffee, he'd put it back in his bag and fill it up at home the next day. So people thought that he was buying Starbucks every day. That's a disgusting way to have status. I know. I do not think that would fly today. But in the 90s, Starbucks is like the BMW of beverages. One of the people I talked to for my book said, people can't see me every day in my BMW, but they can see me carrying a cup of Starbucks. And so the very overspending of coffee, one, said like that you had money. Second, the fact that you could tell the difference between Starbucks, or at least appear to, an ordinary coffee made you look like... You had taste and culture and refinement. And so what it became was kind of an affordable form of luxury. And it's becoming an available luxury. At this point, Starbucks has 3,500 stores. Three, two, one. Happy 2000! Oh, wow, it's the new millennium. I remember this. (laughs) Yes. Happy New Year. And Howard Schultz says he has a resolution. In this brand new century, he's saying he wants to go from... 3,500 stores to more than 20,000 stores. Planet Starbucks. 
After the break, we'll find out how that expansion collided with the concept of basic in hip-hop and then YouTube. All right, Kate. So when we left off, Howard Schultz was planning a massive expansion from 3,500 to 20,000 stores, which is a lot. Yes, so many. And now Americans are getting used to the fancy coffee names and they're starting to see Starbucks everywhere. So this morning I went to Starbucks. You know Starbucks. You've heard of Starbucks? Yeah. There's one on the corner next to the Starbucks across from the Starbucks. I'd like to get my ear pierced. Well, better make it quick, kiddo. In five minutes, this place is becoming a Starbucks. So, as you can hear, Starbucks is popping up everywhere, and people are getting a little bit annoyed. So let's kind of jump ahead to around 2006. Starbucks itself is beginning to lose some of its popularity. It's beginning to lose some of its kind of customer base. It has to sort of struggle with this, and which it will do for the next, you know, 10 or so years. Starbucks is no longer like a BMW. Starbucks is now more like a Toyota Camry. It's still selling a ton, but Bryant notices around now it's becoming more ubiquitous and maybe forgettable. In some ways, it was just the, the kind of ordinariness and sameness of it kind of overwhelmed me. And I remember um, while I was doing my research, it was in the period where they kept playing Alanis Morissette over and over again. And it seemed like wherever I went, I got that acoustic version of the Alanis Morissette record that drove me crazy. <laughs> it was that first record, Jagged Little Pill. I don't even remember the name of that song. I've, I think I've tried to repress that memory. <laughs> that was my own personal pain. Isn't it, it also spoke to just how ordinary and the same a lot of Starbucks were. Isn't it ironic that Starbucks is becoming basic? No comment, but you're getting it. Starbucks is becoming mainstream. And then just when fate seems doomed to every man, ubiquitous ordinariness, Peter Dukes has his mad scientist moment in a lab with some nutmeg, cinnamon, and ginger. And there's the pumpkin spice latte on the menu. And yes, people are buying it. I'll never forget coming in and pulling the numbers and looking at, at the numbers and how well it sold. And then you just knew you had a winner. And you picked up the phone, you talked to um, some store managers directly, and the excitement in their voice and how they talked about how much their customers enjoyed it, how much our partners, our baristas, uh, loved this beverage. You just knew that you had a beverage that was going to resonate. It's not resonating with those ad executive types who used to show off their Starbucks coffee cups in the office, but it starts to build a fan base. So in this period, does drinking a PSL at Starbucks say anything about you as a person? Not at first. Maybe it means you just really love fall. But it wasn't an icon of being basic at first. In fact, the term basic bitch wasn't really used that much until around 2009. Okay, I found someone who I think can help us understand all this. Noreen Malone is a features editor at New York Magazine. She wrote one of the seminal pieces analyzing basicness back in 2014. And she has a good sense of how the idea of being basic came to define the kind of person who might buy a pumpkin spice latte. We should be clear that the term basic was totally appropriated from hip-hop culture by white women to describe other white women, which is, you know, sort of a basic thing to do if you want to frame it that way. 
Around 2009, the black comedian Lil Duval used it in a rap. Yeah, that's about the time that Basic Bitch first shows up online on Urban Dictionary in 2009. I think it sort of crossed over via a couple of things. There was this rapper, Krishan. She was a white rapper around 2010, 2011, who was sort of a figure of ridicule, but she had a song where she was shouting out luxury brands and saying, basic bitches love these things. And then there was a viral YouTube star, a young sort of pre-adolescent boy named Lohanthony, who had a very charming video where he said, calling all the basic bitches, and that went viral. Calling all the basic bitches, there's a new announcement. You're basic. And so it came to a wider audience. And then it basically became sort of white woman on white woman crime, right? That you, these that some women were using it to describe other women who they didn't think had interesting tastes. And, and you know, of course, men can be described as basic, too, Um I think it's really context dependent. It does it does tend to mean this, you know, sort of stereotypically sorority girl thing. And so now we are in 2013. The PSL is 10 years old. About as old as Lil Anthony. <laughs> and you have a smartphone now. Yes. And by now, the PSL is a tradition. And it's no coincidence that the rise of the PSL charts pretty evenly with the rise of smartphones. Over time, you have these PSL fanatics who are so looking forward to the return of PSL and then it arrives and they announce the that it's arrived and there's so much excitement in that marker of fall. And then, you know, obviously when it goes away, they lament the fact that it's they can't get it anymore and uh, you know have to wait another year before it before it returns. <laughs> So Starbucks is encouraging a lot of this. They have ads and special cups and a special Twitter account for the PSL, though they would not call the customers basic. But the difference is now it's 2013. I have an Instagram and Snapchat on my phone. And I want to tell all my friends just how excited I am that it's pumpkin spice latte season. So I take a picture and let's see. Hashtag PSL. And so do all my friends. Now people who write for the internet, so people like me, are noticing that the PSL, hashtag PSL, is a thing. And you can see a whole bunch of articles appear online around this time. And so basically, this is the moment that the pumpkin spice latte and basicness, these two absurd concepts, converge in the world. Basically, yes. It's going to be fun. Got your results back. And, uh, you're a basic bitch. You're tweeting about Starbucks. Hashtag caffeine. Where did you come up with that? That college humor video has more than 13 million views. And now we get this Taylor Swift parody. It's that time of year. Pumpkin spice is here. I can't wait to drink. This anthropological offering from Hoodwinked Films. The changing of the seasons and the leaves falling marks a very important part of the year for the basic bitch. That means that it's pumpkin spice latte season down at the Starbucks. And then, we're almost back to 2018, Martha Stewart goes on Watch What Happens with Andy Cohen and puts any mystery that's left to rest. 
pumpkin spice everything, delicious or for basic bitches only? It's the latter. For basic oh, bitches. That's wow, just... Martha Stewart says pumpkin spice is for basic bitches, you guys. I love it. This is the greatest moment of this show ever. What I still want to know, is calling someone basic an insult? I wouldn't say it's a bad thing. I'm basic and proud. (laughs) This is that focus group of self-described basics from our office you heard earlier. I'd say I try not to be basic, but then I love all of the things that are basic, and so there's no point in being ashamed of that. I mean, it's just my lifestyle, so... (laughs) I think it's an insult if you're like generally basic, but you're trying not to be, and then someone accuses you of it. Yeah, I think that if somebody posts a photo of like a sunset on Instagram, then they might really think that's beautiful and they wanted to share that with the world. But then somebody just comes in and undercuts that with that's basic because they see a lot of sunset pictures on Instagram. And it's that's it's an insult, you know, so for sure. Yeah, it's changed everything. You know, it's changed because you know how how it might be perceived. And do you think you post predictable things? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, maybe. Like Somebody, what? Yeah, like a sunset, for instance. You only post sunsets. No, 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 no Lauren. <laughs> I don't only post sunsets. What about coffee? No, I don't. But I don't do those overhead. A lot of what people are criticizing is that, you know, these women, it's mostly women, have the wrong taste in brands, that they like these mass market things, that they, you know, are buying whatever people are selling them. And remember those things that exude basicness? Only getting coffee from Starbucks. Uggs. Rosé. Iced coffee. Avocado toast. Lily Pulitzer. Denim jackets. Green smoothies. Brunch. Bean boots. Noreen thinks that list is getting a bit dated. We should probably update our definition of basic. And I'm not exactly sure what those brands are. You know, again, it's so contingent. Like, I think if you're in San Francisco, wearing Allbirds is probably a pretty basic thing to do. Um, But like avocado toast and Uggs have been a punchline for a really long time now. I think we could stand to update it. Some new punchlines might come as a relief to Peter Dukes, the guy who invented the PSL. This poor guy has been developing espresso drinks for years, and the one thing everyone always wants to talk to him about is the PSL. I am now comfortable with, you know, when my daughter's friends come up and say, oh, you worked on the PSL. I'm like, yeah, it was a fun experience. I worked with a great team on it, and... (laughs) You know, you never know when you take risk. You never know what's going to what's gonna happen with it. So I, I'm, I'm to the point, fine, where I'm comfortable with that. Was that a process for you? Yes, that was definitely a process. But as much as Peter Dukes and Starbucks don't really like to talk about it, if the basics move on to some other coffee place, that could be bad for the chain. Oh, yeah, Noreen talked about that. Do you think Starbucks will always be basic? You know, I don't know. I think... Again, there is a little bit of an aspirational element to basic consumption patterns. So if Starbucks ceases to be aspirational for that group of people, then it might not. You know, Starbucks is a huge corporation with shareholders that it has to satisfy. I think that they probably are going to work very hard to keep their sort of uh, market penetration really, really high. And, and, um, And if that means appealing to a certain group of people, I think they will continue to try to do it. 
So our main question is, how did Starbucks and the PSL become the symbol of basicness? And it seems that it's this convergence of the rise of Instagram culture and Snapchat at the same time as you have YouTube stars coming out, at the same time you have online media writing think pieces about everything happening in culture. And then there's this one event every fall where people go to the local Starbucks and there are now thousands and thousands of them, so it's ubiquitous and everywhere, and they have to Instagram their first PSL of the year, hashtag PSL, and therefore a cultural phenomenon is born. At the center of the idea of what the PSL is and what the center of what being a basic bitch means is a force between something being mainstream and something being unique or cool. So Starbucks started as really unique and cool, and then as it became mainstream, that's when it became basic. And the PSL kind of embodies that, where it's just a really sweet drink that comes across once a year, and it's not really that creative if everyone can get it. But because everyone's talking about it, every basic bitch needs to have one. And so if Starbucks hadn't opened so many stores, stores across the street from other stores, they never would have been able to have something that was so ubiquitous that it could be crowned as basic. Totally. If Starbucks was still kind of this indie little coffee chain that people were going to to feel special and artsy, then there's no way something out of there would have been the crown jewel and the basic bitch kind of repertoire. Kate, so you report on Starbucks a lot. Where is the company going now? It's going in a lot of different directions. On one hand, it's opening all these new fancy stores called roasteries that have a fancy pour-over type drinks and all these kind of rare different blends and different beans that coffee aficionados have come to love and that they're willing to pay $10 for. And then at the same time, 80% of new Starbucks locations are drive through Howard Schultz left the company and is rumored to be thinking about running for public office. While that happens, the company is grappling with a very high-profile racial bias incident in Philadelphia that led to the chain closing all of its stores across the U.S. for hours while employees had racial bias sensitivity training. So Starbucks is having some trouble being all things to all people, including the basic crowd that's become a huge part of its customer base. And what's next for the pumpkin spice latte? Well, it's definitely not just a Starbucks thing anymore. There's literally pumpkin spice deodorant now. Like, it is, I think we might have hit peaked PSL, and now we're kind of going from it being the symbol of being basic to just everywhere. And when something's everywhere, it loses some of that symbolic momentum. Huh. It's like losing its basicness by becoming more basic? Exactly. (laughs) And Kate, early on, you told us that the guy who created the PSL, Peter Dukes, doesn't really know what basic means. I actually think he does, but he was a little bit careful when we were talking. Here's the rest of his answer when I asked him about the PSL being basic, being the height of unoriginal. I, yeah, I, I don't, I wish I could answer that question, but I, I, I just, I don't, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to answer that one about the basic. Like, people like to customize their beverages here. So even with the PSL, People discover their their own unique way to make their PSL. So whether that's adding a shot of espresso or using almond milk or soy milk to create their own PSL experience, if that's basic, okay. 
are you okay with kind of it having that reputation? Is that something you think about or not at all? It's not something that I think too much about. Um, again, I, I guess I link that back to, uh, as we were talking about earlier, people seem to have fun with the PSL and, um, you know, that marker of fall and, and, you know, having fun with this beverage. And if that's basic, so be it. <laughs> Noreen put it a little more bluntly. Wouldn't you be like embarrassed if like this thing that you thought was so cool and innovative became like this stand in for all that's wrong with the taste of a certain kind of American? I would. <laughs> but, you know, like laughing all the way to the bank, probably. So, Kate Taylor, you told us at the beginning that you are self-described basic. You also cover Starbucks extensively for Business Insider. How do you feel about all this now? I feel excited. I'm excited for basicness to evolve, and I'm excited for Starbucks to evolve. Like, I like avocado toast. I like PSL. Like, I'm excited what basic thing will be bestowed on me next. And as a reporter, it's such a cool time to cover Starbucks where they could kind of plunge off a cliff and not be able to continue being everything to everyone. But they're kind of throwing a ton of things at the wall and seeing what sticks. So it's an interesting time for both being a basic bitch and a Starbucks reporter. Are you ready for your 2018 pumpkin spice latte? Oh, I am so ready. I will be there the first day possible. I think I'll pass. (laughs) Hashtag PSL. (laughs) Coming up... How the reviews on Amazon's top-rated sweatpants made one person feel less alone. It's time for product misplacement. This is the part of the show where we hear how brands have played a part in our listeners' lives, for better or worse. My friend Jean Hannah Edelstein tells the story of how the top-rated sweatpants on Amazon made her feel less alone. About two and a half years ago, I think, it was the January of 2016, and I had just gotten dumped by someone who I was very into, let's say. <laughs> Having a relationship was the, which was... The kind of relationship that all the red flags were there, that um, it wasn't going to go anywhere good. But nonetheless, I had really put my heart into it. I was first diagnosed with depression when I was 14. Most of the time, it feels like, you know, I've had a lot of experience with it and a lot of treatment, so it's pretty well managed. But certain life events can definitely kind of send me spinning. And in this case, I was really low. Or as I like to describe it to people, it's like it feels like I'm wearing a hat made out of cement. So everything that I'm trying to do feels just heavy and difficult. Um, So it meant that it was very hard for me to get up in the morning, very hard for me to go to work, hard for me to see friends. Like, all I really wanted to do was, like, stay inside and sit on my couch and eat soup. But I did have one problem, which was that I had a dog. The dog is a totally delightful dog, but the problem was I had to take her out twice a day. And that really went in opposition to my ideal situation of never leaving my house again. Um, so anyway, it was January. It was super cold, and I was like, I need to get some sweatpants because I needed, you know, clothes to wear when I was taking the dog out. Um, I wanted them to be something that was just like, I was so depressed. I was really struggling to get up in the morning anyway, so I was like, I need something that I can just like put on without thinking about it. 
I had some leggings. The leggings were too much effort, like if that's a measure of how bad I felt. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I'm going to buy some sweatpants. And then I was like, well, I'm too depressed to go to a store. I don't want to think about what sweatpants I'm going to buy. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go on Amazon and I'm going to buy the top-rated sweatpants on Amazon. What were the top-rated sweatpants on Amazon in the winter of 2016? They were men's champion charcoal gray heather sweatpants, crucially with an open bottom, not like, you know, you get the sweatpants with this, the elastic bottom. These had an open bottom. Sorry, open bottom? Yeah. That so sounds like, like a hospital gown. Around the ankle, yeah. Oh, there, okay. <laughs> not that kind of bottom. <laughs> so let's re-record this. Champion men's charcoal gray heather sweatpants with an open hem. Um, So not the elastic around the ankle, but just they were open around the ankle, which made them easy to pull on and off, even if you were wearing shoes, which was an important detail. So I saw that those were the top-rated sweatpants, and then I thought, okay, I'm just going to read some reviews of these sweatpants to see how do people feel about them. And there was, I think, over 2,000 reviews of the sweatpants. And... I was really amazed to find that people had really strong opinions about these sweatpants. Like, people had really invested in the sweatpants. And what really struck me was that a lot of the people who were reviewing the sweatpants positively were also going through hard times in their lives. And actually, I just felt kind of really heartened, despite myself, that, like, here were all these other people who were struggling a bit in life, but we were united by a sweatpant, each of us putting one charcoal gray heather leg in front of the other. Sweatpant nation. It was a sweatpant nation. I started thinking of them as my sweatpant brothers and sisters. So yeah, I ordered the sweatpants and they came and I think one person, one review said something like, so they're sweatpants. And it was quite satisfying that that's exactly what I received. They were just a pair of sweatpants. Like they weren't fashionable. They weren't unfashionable. They weren't trying to be anything special. And that's what I needed at that sort of blank time in my life. Um, So yeah, I started wearing them when I walked the dog, and I pretty much wore them all the time when I wasn't going to work. And over time, you know, it got warmer, I got over the relationship, things in my life improved, and um, I didn't need the sweatpants as much anymore. (laughs) Where are they now? I still have them. They're definitely like still in my drawer, but they're no longer, you know, such an essential part of my wardrobe. But every time I see them, I think of my sweatpants brothers and sisters and what a special time we had together. Are they still the top-rated sweatpants on Amazon? No. They have sunk in the ratings. What happened? I don't even know. I think last time I looked, they were like maybe around number 60 or something like that. But for you, they're always number one. They'll always be number one. And I feel like it was kind of, you know, maybe they were only number one for five minutes on the day that I bought them. But that was when I needed them. Did you end up leaving a review? Well, Dan, of course I did. What's your review? I'm happy to read it to you from the Amazon site where it's still posted. I bought these sweatpants as a defense against the time in my life when I was suffering from cold, of the literal and figurative kind. These sweatpants are shapeless. They're good for trudging. I wore them for some weeks to walk a dog. One morning I woke up and I felt happier, and then I didn't need to wear the sweatpants every day anymore. But the time the sweatpants and I spent together was meaningful and important. 
a version of Jean's story first appeared on the website Wrapped. Jean's also the author of the great new memoir, This Really Isn't About You. If you have a story about how a brand played a role in your life, call us at 7313BRANDS or email us at householdname at businessinsider.com. To hear Household Name without ads, sign up for Stitcher Premium at stitcherpremium.com slash household name and use promo code household for your first month free. Please leave us a review and rating at Apple Podcasts. Five stars really helps other listeners find the show. And let us know what you think. You can email us at householdname at businessinsider.com. This episode was reported by Kate Taylor and me, Dan Bobkoff. Anna Mazarakis produced this episode. She has never had a cup of coffee in her life, but she plans to have a PSL this year. For the Insta, of course. Our senior producer is Claire Rawlinson, mixing sound design and original music by Casey Holford and the Reverend John Delore. Our editor is Peter Clowney. Our executive producers at Stitcher are Chris Bannon, Laura Mayer, and Jenny Radelit. Special thanks to Maxwell Glick and his YouTube channel Mr. Cheesy Pop for that Taylor Swift parody, plus Alis O'Neill, our intern Sarah Wyman, and our focus group of self-described basics, Karina Pintado, Graham Flanagan, Lauren Shamo, Maddie Conley, Dina Cohen, Amanda McKelvey, and Lindsay Updike. Household Name is a production of Insider Audio. Stitcher.